What's up, podcast listeners? I'm Myson Jones, host of the B2B podcast, Basketball to Business, and I'm a part of a movement of hooppreneurs. We're basketball entrepreneurs who are fighting to change lives with the game that changed ours. Whether you're at work or in your car, know that you've joined the family of basketball entrepreneurs fighting to create personal and financial freedom through the game that we love. We are hooppreneurs, and these are our stories. What's up, everyone? It's Myson Jones, the Basketball to Business podcast, and I have with me today Stephen Bardo. Uh, Steve, can you explain to the audience in 30, 45 seconds how you would label yourself, what you do on a day-to-day basis? I'm a basketball businessman, and what I mean by that is that, you know, I've, I've been able to play basketball, but I've taken my experience, skills, and relationships and furthered that into a career off the court. Um, that I want to stay involved in the sport. And I've been able to use that to be a broadcaster, um, someone that is so active in social media and someone who uses basketball, my experience, to transfer those skills to the younger basketball players coming up in the next generation. Got it. And where have you been able to commentate? And I've seen you on Big Ten Network. I've seen you on uh, but you're affiliated with Yahoo, right? But where have you been able to carry your commentating skills? Uh, after my professional career was over, I started at the University of Illinois, uh, a radio analyst. From there, I went to CBS2 Chicago as a sports reporter. From there, I went to ESPN as a national college basketball analyst for seven years. And now I'm with Big Ten Network, Fox, covering the Big East tournament, or the Big East conference, rather and Yahoo Sports, and I do the uh, Chicago Sky here in the WNBA. That's a lot. <laughs> I was a communication major, and I know it's not quick to write up a beat or write up a story. Maybe you've gotten familiar with the process, but how many hours would you say you work on on a daily basis with all those gigs going on? Well, I, I think, you know, during the heavy basketball season, um, it's kind of hard to quantify because between travel, research, uh, conference calls, practice, games, um, it's it's a seven day a week situation. Uh, in the off season, it's a lot. You know, I have a lot more control of my time once the NBA draft uh, concludes. You know, I'm covering the WNBA, but that's a lot less stringent because I don't travel with the ladies. Uh, we we call the home games, and then when there's a road game, we go into a, a local studio and kind of call it from there. And so the travel is much less in the, in the off season. And that's when I get a lot of the foundation work done with the young basketball players as well. So, I mean, during the season, it, it, it can be 10, 12 hour days in the off season though. It's, it's much more, much more manageable. Right. And obviously, I mean, you enjoy that. Did you load more work onto your day or is this a part of Big Ten Network and WMBA? Are, are these contracting to where you can do them yourself and add on to your work pile? Or Because I'm asking, you obviously love it if you have to do all of this. So how did you come about all these different teams at one time? Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, I was very fortunate. That when you get to – I did leave out that I, I did the first and second round of the NCAA tournament back – for CBS in 2005. And the reason that happened was that I was doing the radio for the University of Illinois. That was the Darren Williams, D. Brown, Luther Head team. And so it, it, it got national coverage. 
people remember me from my own Final Four college basketball team and the, the few coffee breaks that I had in the NBA. And I was able to parlay that into some different situations. So I rode the coattails of Darren D and Luther <clears throat> into the first and second round of NCAA covers for CBS. Then ESPN saw me doing that. They hired me on the spot. And I, I worked for them for seven years, solely with them. And then after I left them, Big Ten Network came along. And what a lot of people don't understand is that Fox and Big Ten Network are pretty much sister companies because Fox owns 49% of the Big Ten Network. The conference owns the other 51%. So I was able to work both Big Ten Network and Fox. And then in the summertime, the WNBA situation came along. I was able to pick that up. And then Yahoo as well. Um, quick story, because I ran my mouth on Twitter. I was upset about the direction of my alma mater, the University of Illinois, very critical of the athletic director, almost lost my job, lost six figures in work, and got cut back that year. In that year, my, my agent found the Yahoo opportunity. And so Yahoo kind of filled in the, the gaps to where when I was being politically active and running my mouth, Yahoo came along, very lucrative situation. And I haven't, and whenever I came back to getting full speed with uh, Big Ten Network and Fox, I had Yahoo in the mix. So they, you know, if they were going to bring me back on, this was part of my portfolio and they were good with it. So that's, it's kind of a, a roundabout way of getting all of these different business partners because I don't work for them. They hire me through my own company. So I created my own company. I've had it since 2006. And so whenever I get uh, work with ESPN or something like that, they pay my company. So it puts me in a little bit different situation as opposed to being employed by all these different entities. That's interesting. Uh, so basically you were saying you kind of, well, let's, let's talk about the situation there. I mean, you were upset at the direction of the athletic department. You thought there weren't very many minority coaches and just athletics in general. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but what was the, what was that about? And how could you have approached it a little bit differently looking back in retrospect? Well, I think what it was about was that um, Missouri, University of Missouri was going through a situation very close to that time where the football players came together and were going to boycott a football game. And um, they understood that when you hit the pocketbook or the, the money strings attached to college athletics, you have ultimate power. And they were able to get the president of the university fired. And so but when this was all starting to brew, I would be on the radio saying that University of Illinois needs to hire a black coach because of the charter institutions of the Big Ten Conference. Illinois had not hired a men's basketball or football African-American coach. And they were the only charter school in the Big Ten that had not done so to that point. And so I, I was saying that uh, diversity, you can either embrace it or it will steamroll you. And I was saying this opening on the radio leading up to my rant. And the athletic director, who is now the athletic director at Cleveland State, Mike Thomas, I thought was incompetent. And I thought that he was in over his head and that he talked a good game, 
but that he did not address the, the lack of diversity at the University of Illinois. And so I got really upset one day and I just let, you know, I laid it out on Twitter exactly what my thoughts were and almost got fired. And uh, to this day, um, I'm happy I did that because one, I served notice that if you bring me back on the air, you know where I stand. I may not go, I, I, I may not go back on Twitter. I may not be public with my, with my views, but everyone knows where I stand. And that if I'm, if I'm willing to criticize my alma mater in this fashion, then I'm, I'm somebody to be taken seriously. And I'm an analyst, that's what I do. I analyze situations. And if I'm able to analyze and criticize where I came from, then I can do my job in, in terms of effectively analyzing everything that's brought to me. And so it, it kind of worked out that way. Uh, the president of Big Ten Network brought me back in. We had lunch. I was starting to bring up the, the topic. He said, Stephen, stop. He said, you handled this like a true professional. We asked you to do something. You went away. You didn't say anything. You took your medicine. We, we welcome you back with open arms. And so I don't think that that typically happens with African-Americans in my position, Myson, that take a stand because it's a difficult stand to take. We know it's one that needs to be taken, but it was something that, you know, I've learned from my parents that you stand up for what you believe in and you deal with the consequences as they come uh, if you believe in, in what you believe in. And so that's kind of how it went down. That's interesting. Much respect to you for lack of a better way to put it, the slang, man, you, you, I guess as an African-American, when you make it per se, you don't want to bite any hands that feed you or, or help put food on your table, but you still stood up for it, no matter what the repercussions. So respect to you on that, because I don't know many people that would have chosen to do that. Most would have kept their mouth shut, possibly. Probably. Keep the loot coming in, you know? Yep. No, I agree. So for you, that platform, I mean, what is your stance on your platform and being able to speak out about something that you disagree with, with these other athletes who are speaking out sometimes like LeBron James, uh, the Colin Kaepernick and these other athletes, what is that argument? Can you speak towards both sides to kind of provide a non-biased approach first and then give your thoughts on it? Yeah. In, in terms of the, the Kaepernick situation, um, I thought that that was one of the bravest examples of someone trying to um, use their platform to bring awareness to a situation that is of dire consequences for our community. And so I was uh, really taken back by his ability to take on one of the, one of our biggest um, entities, definitely the biggest sports entity in the United States, but the NFL is incredibly influential. And it has a it, it, it has a unique tie into the fabric of this country. And so for him, he knew what he was doing. He knew that he was threatening his livelihood. He knew that he was taking a tremendously uh, uh, lightning rod of a stand. And yet he did it anyway. And so, you know, for me personally, it was something that that might have been the biggest example of someone standing on principle that I've seen in my lifetime. You know, we've had a lot of things as African-Americans that have happened here in the last eight to 10 years with 
Barack Obama becoming the first African-American president. Uh, we've had um, a number of different things with uh, our relationship with police in our communities, um, education, uh, uh, politics. We've had a lot of different things happen. But Colin Kaepernick's stance was one of the bigger examples that I've seen. LeBron James has now become my favorite basketball player of all time. Yes, he is one of the best on the court. But what he's been able to do off the court in terms of educating uh, kids of color from his community, in terms of taking a stand, he has taken on people publicly that Michael Jordan never did, Magic Johnson never did, and they would never consider doing so. And yet, this is a young man who can call up Warren Buffett and they can hang out like homies. Think about that for a second. LeBron James didn't go to college. He was from a single parent household in a depressed area of Akron, Ohio. And yet I would argue, Mike said, he's one of our greatest leaders, hands down. And he's not doing it post-career. He's doing it at the height of his career. He's able to step up, step out and do things that benefit our community as a whole, the, the larger black uh, African-American community, his community of Akron and do some things that, is, that have been unprecedented. And the fact, again, I'm going to say this again, you don't see African-American males being able to call up one of the richest people in the world and not only get advice from him, but hang out with him. Have this cat wearing his jersey at Cleveland Arena. Think about that for a second. That's that. We don't see that. We don't see that from politicians. We don't see that from businessmen, but we see that from Le LeBron James. So that's how I feel about LeBron James. He is my all time. Uh, he and Colin Kaepernick and Magic, because uh, I patterned my game after Magic. But these gentlemen are, you know, my all time favorites in terms of athletes and who I would want to emulate because they've done it both on the field and off the field. Can you, can you speak to that, LeBron James, on doing these things at the peak of his career? We talk about Magic Johnson, how he was meeting different CEOs and different venues when he was traveling on the road, and Le what LeBron's doing with Warren Buffett, what you probably did with commentating when you were a basketball player. What does that speak to? Was that like a principle your dad taught you in, in terms of digging your well before you're thirsty, or where does that come from? It comes from relationships and relationships move everything. You can't do anything without relationships. None of us are an island uh, amongst ourselves. We, we need help. We need people to either vouch for us, to open a door, to assist us, to, to give us resources. We need relationships. And so I was very fortunate to not only watch my parents and my dad cultivate these relationships, I also uh, was fortunate enough to have mentors. Mentors are huge for everyone, but in particular, young people. And so I got a great story. Sophomore year, my college coach comes to me after practice, Lou Henson, and says, Stephen, I've got to go on a radio show. I know that you're a communications uh, major. Do you want to come on this radio show with me? I said, sure. I said, you know, is it just me and you? He said, no, Dick Vitale's on there as well. So, you know, back then, Dick Vitale was the man. He was it. 
He brought a different flair, a different style. He wasn't straight laced on his broadcasting. He had emotion. He had shtick. So I was very excited to do this radio interview. So uh, we were all in different places. Lou was in his office. I think I was at my uh, apartment in um, uh, Dick Vitale. I think it was on the road in St. Louis or something like that. And so the phone lines were still open after the radio interview was over. And so I think Lou Henson kind of hung up. Dick Vitale and I were still talking. And Dick said, Stephen, you did a great job on the interview. What do you want to do when you get older? And I said, Dick, I want your job. And he laughed, but I wasn't laughing. I was serious. And so after the after the interview, my dad says, Stephen, write ESPN a letter thanking them for having you on the radio show and that you're a communications major and that you would possibly like to talk with someone about that upon graduation. So I send this letter off, Myson. Don't think nothing of it. Go back to doing what college students do, partying, going to school, playing ball. About a month and a half later, uh, I had two roommates. One now is a uh, psychiatrist in Beverly Hills, California. Very, very uh, successful psychologist, Dr. P.J. Bowman. The other roommate is Ryan Baker, who's the sports director for CBS2 here in Chicago. These are my two roommates. So we go to the mailbox and I've got this letter and I'm standing there for like five minutes looking at this letter and they're like, what's up? I said, look at this letter. It said from the office of the president of ABC Sports. At the time, I didn't know that ABC owned ESPN. And so they, they said, you're going to sit there and look at it, you're going to open it. So I open it and it says, Dear Stephen, I got a chance to, to listen to your radio interview. You did an excellent job. I will be coming to the University of Illinois campus this fall. This was in March or this was in February. He said, it, this fall, I will be at the University of Illinois campus because USC and Illinois will be on our air and I'd love to meet with you. So I said, cool. You know, I wrote him back. He gave me his number. I wrote him back. I told him I look forward to meeting you. We walked Myson around and I'm not, I'm still, I'm, I'm a college student. I'm still thinking about, I'm not really thinking about, this is the president of ABC Sports. I'm just thinking this is a cool cat that took his time out that you know is just showing me around. So we go into the television truck. And in, in live television, you get in a live television truck and there are people in there screaming, cursing, because you have to hit time. It's very specific. Uh, you have to be on time. You've got to get these uh, commercials in and they're screaming, cursing. I'm walking in, you know, I duck in, I come in and they kind of look back at me and they keep cursing and talking. I step to the left and Dennis Swanson walks in the truck, eyes got big, back straightened up, the language changed, and right then it hit me. I'm like, dude, I'm with the president of ABC Sports. So the game is over. Dennis Swanson says, Stephen, I, I would like to offer you a job upon graduation. And I said, Dennis, thank you very much, but I'm going to play professional basketball. But if you don't mind, I'd like to stay in touch with you. So, Myson, every six months I wrote him a letter. This was before email. I wrote him a letter. When my roommate, Ryan Baker, got married in New York City, I was hanging out the night before, drank too much, cottonmouthed everything. He calls me on the phone and says, can you be in my office in 30 minutes? I was in his office, showered, dressed, everything, in 25 minutes. 
and we developed a relationship. Fast forward to my end of my career, he puts me on University of Illinois Radio. He gets me on CBS2 Chicago. He gets me on uh, CBS covering the tournament, and he got me on ESPN. And that's how important relationships are. Wow. Did he smell the alcohol in your breath? <laughs> no, because I brushed my teeth real good, man. <laughs> real good. Man, that's you know, a great He was like, man, I heard, I knew something was wrong. I must have woke you up or something. I was like, no, no. He said, oh, I, I know what was going on. He's cool. He's cool. Yeah, he's not a president of, of ABC because he's a dummy, right? Like, <laughs> But here's the key thing, Myson, that I want, because I know young people listen to what you're doing. Dennis Swanson was a basketball manager at the University of Illinois in the late 60s, early 70s. I had no idea. So the fact that I went to the University of Illinois and that my dad had the presence of mind to tell me to write that letter opened up a world of opportunity for me that I didn't know existed. And the only reason I'm telling you, I work at my job. I do. I try to work. But the only reason I'm here speaking to you today is because of that relationship with Dennis Swanson and the doors that he opened up for me because I could not have done that by myself. Let me ask you a lot of different directions we can go here, but on the piggy piggybacking off of your dad's wisdom, uh, listen to the story that you told coach Karan Godwin, who's the reason we even have this interview. So shout out to him. Um, you mentioned your dad, his wisdom when you bought that truck, mm. how do you invest your money? And again, I was a major communication major in college and I got out of it because I didn't, I didn't see any money in it besides sales. Right. Right. I, I love Stuart Scott. Didn't know how much money he was making. Saw Stephen A. Smith's salary recently and just, whoa, just opened my eyes a little bit to what media can do. But with your investments now versus back then, how have you gotten wiser? And what do you say your quote unquote vice is when it comes to having a different amount of money to throw back into things that you probably couldn't have done as a college student or uh, back in the day? You know, I'm, I'm going to take a, um, I, I like Nipsey Hussle. Oh, oh man. should have told me that. You like Nipsey Hussle? What? Oh, man, that victory lap is the best. That's all I'm listening to right now. <laughs> right, but see, you're talking about the music. I like the music, but I like the businessman. Yeah. He's very similar to LeBron James in my, in, in my opinion. But what Nipsey Hussle said, he said that I needed to have a side way, a side hustle to make money so that I didn't have to uh, compromise my integrity to my music. I didn't want to have to sign a deal to make ends meet. I needed to make ends meet outside of my music because I wanted to stay independent so that I could get my true voice and my true creativity out. That's why he has a, a clothing store. He controls a strip mall on Slauson and Crenshaw. Um, he's got one of the smartest stores in the world because every time you walk into the, uh, man, what is his clothing line? Because uh, I just bought a shirt. Marathon, proud to pay. Is it a? It, uh, I think it's a marathon. It's, it'll come to me in a minute. But when you walk in this store, Myson, and you, and you hit the QL code on every tag, there's a piece of content. There's either a song, there's a video, 
There's directions to get further discounts the more that you come. This is incredible. This is in the hood in L.A. Mm -hmm. This cat is tatted up. He's been in the game. He talked about his boys being in jail and his boy, if he would have told on him, he'd have been in jail for 15, 20 years. These are the examples that need to be pushed, in my opinion, to, the, to our young people, because he looks that's something that people can say, you know what? Either I was in the game or I recognize that I know somebody like him. And yet he's smart enough to understand he needed a side hustle to keep his creativity. So what I would tell young people that want to go into communications, do what you're doing. You're creating content. You're doing something that, you know, is very low startup cost. But if you grow it, it can grow into what Karan Godwin, Coach Godwin has done. It's the same principle. Karan Godwin has two or three different uh, things that he does. That's not all that he does. It looks like his training and video and social media presence. It looks like that's all he does. But he grinds at a lot of other different areas to support his family and to support his creativity and his passion over here in basketball. So that's what I, anybody that's a communications major, if you don't have your own podcast, if you don't have your own Facebook live show, if you're not blogging, that's a, that's an issue because that can that can turn into revenue generation. And right. so something like that, studying cryptocurrencies, investing in cryptocurrencies, you don't need that much money to start investing in that. And if you can, if you really study it, like I've been studying it pretty hard over the last year and a half, all of these government agencies, these uh, huge uh, corporations are starting to use blockchain technology for their company. So you, you can hear the mainstream media say that cryptocurrency is dangerous and it's going away. No, it's not. It's here to stay. And so there are very good venues and avenues for people like yourself, people who want to stay in basketball, people who want to be in communication to um, supplement your work and make money a little bit quicker than maybe something that you have to build like a podcast, like a show or something like that. That's that's kind of my advice to young people who are trying to, you know, keep their passion, but pay the bills. My oldest son, 26 years old, he is a hip hop artist. And he is he is the epitome of a starving artist because he he stars a lot, but he, he speaks four languages. He's got video editing skills and he didn't want to use those. He wanted to put all of his time into music. And he's found out at 26 that you can't do that. You've got to develop a side hustle or something to take care of the basic needs and to give you a little bit of, of capital that you can invest into your passion. So that, you know, so I, 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 long story short, I like Nipsey Hussle and his example for young people because he's identifiable. He's not, he's not in the clouds like LeBron James. He doesn't have otherworldly gifts. He's just a young man who is very intelligent. He's self-educated, which is key. He's self-educated. And then he's able to work his plan because he had that side hustle. Right, 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 right. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I would never expect to mention Nipsey Hussle. Um, so what a question for you. Your favorite quote is get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
right? Yeah. One of your favorite quotes. And with uncomfortability on the basketball courts, running sprints, running suicides, being tired. But what is the uncomfortable in the business world for you when it comes to media commentary? Uh, when it comes to media commentary? Right. When it comes to your job, what is what is where does that un, the discomfort come into play? Like, oh, what's the similarity between the basketball? OK, right. get comfortable being uncomfortable versus right. media, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Well, if you're in a business like mine and you're, you're called upon to be an analyst, I have I have relationships. I'm I'm I have I'm cooler with certain coaches than I am other coaches. There are other coaches that I don't particularly care for, uh, but there are coaches that I really like. I'll give you a great example. Big Ten Conference Tournament this year in Madison Square Garden. Penn State and Ohio State are playing. The Big Ten Player of the Year is Kata Bays Diop from Ohio State. But Kata Bays Diop is soft. And I've said that. And I love the young man. I know him and I know his family. He's from Normal, Illinois, which is about two, two and a half hours south of Chicago. I've watched him in high school. I've watched him in college. We have a great relationship. But when Shep Garner basically took his lunch money at the end of the game, and sealed the win for Penn State. They swept Ohio State. They beat them three times. And I went on the air and I said, you cannot be the Big Ten Conference Player of the Year and get the ball taken like that. That's soft. I got lit up on Twitter from Ohio State fans. And so being, on, be, being true to myself, I'm an analyst. I have to take that risk of injuring a personal relationship, not only with Kata Bays Diop, but with head coach of Ohio State, Chris Holtman. I've known Chris Holtman since he was a coach at Gardner-Webb. So these relationships, Mison, as you well know, people may start out on a lower level, but they can get to the top level and you have relationships with these people. But hopefully they may not like what I said, but they respect what I said. And so if I'm gonna be, because I consider myself the best in the business, there is no better college bas or basketball analyst in the business than me. I, I, I believe that. And so if I'm going to have that uh, confidence in myself, then I need to step out and be uncomfortable at times and say what I know that needs to be said and deal with the consequences, because this is what I signed up for. So does that is that a good it, example? It does. And I'm, I'm curious now, like you're a competitor. Obviously, you don't get to the NBA. You don't play overseas for as long as you did. You don't have the accolades you did at University of Illinois without being a competitor. So how do you compete now? I've been trying to find that transition in between competing against myself, against others, but no matter who you look at, the greats, they always had that competitive fire, yeah. no matter what anybody else says. So how do you compete now as an analyst? I think uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And for a long time, when I was, at ESPN, I would always look at Jay Billis. I'd always look at different cats. And I'm like, you know what, man? I can't believe they're making that kind of money. You know, I'm just as good. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I wasn't doing my research. I wasn't developing my relationships. I wasn't um, uh, watching enough game film to understand tendencies a lot better. And when I started doing that, that's when I became the best. And now, typically the money follows you being the best. That's not the situation for me, but I have more than enough. And it took a long time to get to a point where I started looking at, did I do what I needed to do? 
Did I do my research? Did I talk to both coaching staffs? Did I go to the shoot rounds of both teams? Am I asking the sports information directors the right questions to get the answers to what I need? Do I have an assistant? Did I hire an assistant this year to look at every school's situation, Myson, and say, I'm going to recall Wisconsin next week. What is the story going on right now? Is there a player hurt? Did someone get suspended for illegal drug use? Was there a situation where there was some sexual misconduct? Was there um, was there a player like Isaac Haas at Purdue who's got a special needs sister? Am I aware of that? Do I bring that up on the air? That's what makes you the best. That's how you compete. So competing on the, the broadcast and media side is a little bit different because you don't, I, I don't, I would not suggest people getting into this business to look at someone and then to compete against them, them directly because they have a different set of rules that make them elite. We all have our own set of things that make us elite. So when I watch a game, I watch it through the eyes of a point guard. When Deion Thomas, who went to Illinois, who's on Big Ten Network, I've encouraged him. When you and he's been a coach as well, he's been a college coach and assistant. I say, Deion, when you go on the air, you can't say the same thing that somebody at home would say because they're paying you to say something different. So find a way to speak through your lens. He was a tremendous score from the post position. So, so talk the game from that position. See the game from that position. Speak it in that way. So when you compete, Myson, you have to find what, what are your set of rules? And what are your rules that if you hit the top of those rules consistently, then you'll be the best at what you're doing. And that will make you the best in the business. That's how you compete. It, you can look at others to get to get um, ideas, to see how they handle the situation. Oh, okay. Because we all take from each other. I don't want I don't want to pass that along that I don't look at Clark Kellogg and take some things away from him. And by the way, he's been a tremendous mentor and friend. Probably more of a friend than actually mentor. So I take things from him. I took things from Dick Vitale. I look at uh, Jay Billings, who I think is one of the best in the business. I take things from him. I love Bill Raftery. I look at what he does. And so I'm not saying don't take and don't study the game. You got to study the game, but you've got to develop your own game. You know, that 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 move that you had on your uh, on one of your videos was excellent where you put your foot up, you put your foot up and it's a one, two step and you show different angles of it. That's that's part of your game, Myson, and that that's excellent. I haven't seen a lot of people talk about that. And since Karan Godwin, I've watched a lot of people who call themselves trainers, do different things. I've never seen anybody use that. So that's a calling card on your behalf that other people are going to watch and say, man, I got to take a piece of that. Now, they're not going to be able to do it as well as you are, but they can take a piece of that. But that's one of your building blocks. And so that's how I compete. I find that, you know, from a point guard's position, when I teach young people about the game, point guard vision, you can be a, you can be a center and have point guard vision. You can be an off guard, a, a forward, and have point guard vision. You can see the game from a point guard's per, point of view, regardless of your position. And so that's how I approach broadcasting a game, viewing a game. I'm a point guard. 
I'm setting the table. I'm setting my teammates up. I'm scoring when given the opportunity. That's how I call the game, and that's how I compete. That's interesting. And it sounds – thank you for that compliment. It sounds like that takes time to transition from you having a basketball and being on the basketball court to your court being the studio. You know what I mean? Like there are parallels there, but that process seems like it takes some time to find out, okay, how do I really perform as a point guard in this different venue on this different platform? It is. And basketball, um, many people, like I do, I do some corporate speaking, not a lot. I used to do much more. I'm not so much interested in that, but what I used to tell people is that basketball is the language of life more so than football, more so than baseball, more so than any other sport. Basketball is the language of life. And basketball and, and broadcasting are eerily similar. They are eerily similar because everything that I could take from the basketball court, I can apply in almost every facet of life. So my, my good buddy, Walter Bond, who makes $22,000 an hour, as a corporate speaker, he's a Hall of Fame speaker. He played with the Dallas Mavericks and Utah Jazz in the NBA. He played with me at uh, Quad City Th or uh, Wichita Falls, Kansas, in the CBA. He was in the CBA and played a little bit overseas. He went into broadcasting. He didn't quite like the broadcasting angle, so he went into speaking. All Walter does, he makes twenty-two thousand an hour. All he does is take what he learned in basketball and apply it to business. For example. He will talk about business owners and their staff. So are you hitting the numbers? Are you hitting the numbers? Because numbers don't lie. So he said, like on a basketball team, you have a leading score. A coach could go into a game and say, Myson averages 17 points a game. I can pretty much count on him hitting 17 or more. Now, Myson's teammates, they're going to come in in smaller increments. But if they can hit those numbers, more than likely, if they hit or exceed those numbers, we're going to win more than we're going to lose. It sounds simple, but that's how life is. Numbers, right? So Walter talked about going from, you know, like basketball players like myself who've got to the NBA level. The reason basketball players who have played professional basketball struggle so mightily to get into another area of their, their life and transition to another career is because they think that the success in basketball, that the 30 years that they spent dedicating their lives will transition automatically into another career. No, it doesn't. You have to start again. So when Walter Bond came out of basketball, he made 6,000 calls in one uh, for first three years of the business. He made 25 calls every day, five days a week. That equates to 6,000, I believe it's 6,000 calls a year. If you make 6,000 calls a year and you're trying to break into another industry, at some point it's going to give. It's going to hit you back. When you, hit the, when you hit the marketplace with that kind of effort, it's going to bounce back in a positive way. And that's what guys who are in basketball that are trying to transition, they don't understand that numbers speak everything. And so the similarities with if 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 I look at a certain amount of games on film, if I can talk to a number of players, if I can read a certain amount of articles, 
if if I can talk to a certain amount of coaches, every week, every conference has a, 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 a conference call where every coach has about 10 minutes where you can ask them any question you want and they have to answer it in that 10 minute setting. Every coach in the league. So how many conference calls do I listen to? And if I can't listen to them live, they have them on recording. How many times do I go back and listen to them? If I'm doing that every every year, if I'm hitting my mark or getting more, if I hit my average or get more, my team has a higher likelihood of winning. That's that's the similarity. And that's what I think people that us, Myson and basketball, we have an advantage over everybody else because basketball is life. Ball is life. There's, I'm, I'm telling you, any other field, you can relate basketball to it. That's interesting. And it, I was actually recording a podcast before this talking about the 90-day years, this concept of humans and this study that humans can only see 90 days out. That's what the horizon line is. And it talks about just the, la- the language of high performers being numbers. Numbers are the language of high performers. And that makes sense. And everything I see is like a sales job, you know, prospecting, which you just explained to me resonated with prospecting because I went into yeah. sales right after college. And everything is sales. It's, the, it's a numbers game, like they always say. It's a quality game, but it's also a numbers game. So that resonates with what you're saying. Oh, no doubt. And. You know, the, the, th- the thing that's so attractive about numbers is that they can be measured. And when you can measure something, you can improve something. You know, I'm a big, I'm a voracious reader. I wasn't in school, but I am now. And one of the, the writers that I really appreciate is James Clear, C-L-E-A-R. James Clear. Are you familiar with him, Mike? I've heard of him. I haven't listened to him, but a lot of people have told me about him. I would, I would suggest that your listeners and, and yourself, if you are into uh, productivity and high achievement, he is a guy that breaks it down to the most basic levels. And what he talks about is that we as humans are poor at analyzing ourselves. We're very poor at analyzing our performance unless there's a way to measure it. And so he's very big on getting people to measure when you work out, how many reps did you do? What was the, the amount of weight you used? Because he is a big weightlifter. He, he, when he started riding, he took on weightlifting as something that he could measure to help him further um, document his studies. And so he's a huge proponent of using simple numbers to measure your progress. And have you ever heard of the calendar? Um, uh, uh, Seinfeld, uh, the, the tremendous actor, uh, he was approached at a nightclub one time, a comedy club. And this, this aspiring guy said, uh, you know, I love your work. You know, can, is there any advice you can give me? He said, he, he said, Seinfeld sat there for a second and thought, he said, okay, get a calendar that you can write on. And he said, write every day. And when you write every day, 15, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, take a red X and mark it on the calendar. And he said, don't break the chain. What he meant was that when you start writing, you put an X on on the day. Then the next day you put an X. All of a sudden you're going to get a chain. Don't break the chain. And if you do, don't do it for two days in a row. 
Don't break the chain. Another one. There's a young man, 19 years old in Canada. He started out being a stockbroker. He was given a technique called the paperclip technique. And he bought these paperclips and he dumped them on his table. And then he had a container for them. Every prospecting call he made, he took the paperclip, put it into the container. He made 120 calls a day. In 16 months, he was making six figures. In four years, he was, I think he was a top five uh, broker in this country of Canada. When I had a book tour, I used the paperclip method. I called every public library in the state of Illinois. I ended up with a 35 site book tour with that technique alone, taking simple, uh, I, I would take uh, 30 paper clips and every time I make a call, I take the paper clip and put it in the thing. And I ended up with a 35 uh, city tour with public, public libraries with my book. So wow. numbers don't lie. They don't lie. That's, that's hustle. So let me ask you this. Wrapping up, what is your what is your goal? I mean, I listened to the interview with Coach Godwin about the visualization strategy that you use that you accredit with you making the NBA. What is your big dream? What is your big goal now being a basketball businessman? I really want to pour back into young basketball players, both male and female, uh, preferably African-American, male and female, because we're up against so much that this game is a gift. Basketball is a gift. It's not a right. It's a privilege to play this game. And the amount of effort that you give to the game, it will give you back tenfold. And you don't have to leave the sphere of the basketball world ever once you enter it, if you play your cards right. So last fall, I went over to Ghana, um, one of the birthright trips that uh, people of Jewish descent often take to Israel. People from Europe often go back to the country of their origin. I went back to Ghana. I did a basketball clinic in Accra, Ghana. Uh, I happen to have a teammate of mine in college, Andy Petty, is from Nigeria. And Andy Petty gave me some advice to reach out to the people while I was there. So I was able to set up a basketball clinic. And I was floored, Myson by the intensity of the young people in Ghana that want to learn the game. They will almost give up a body part for someone that has NCAA experience, NBA experience, someone like myself that wants to go and share their experiences. It was incredible. So the, the one day clinic was free for them. I gave them a t-shirt. I gave them a copy of my book and I paid for them to have a meal afterwards. And you thought you thought I would have given them a million dollars. There was a national television station that came and did a story on it. I was on national television. All I did was come and give a clinic, a one day clinic. And that right there sparked in my mind. I already knew, but I knew it from another continent's perspective, how big this game is. And so all I want to do now is while I'm on the air, relate to kids, relate to people about what this game means and how far it can take you. And 
to be able to, to call a game and to give people that look like us a sense of, you know what, he's one of us. He sees the game like we do. He can interject some public enemy. He can talk about Nipsey Hussle and then talk about a, a post feed. He can talk about a coach getting on a player, but that I know because I know this coach that he loves that player. That player would run through a wall for him. That young people, it's not, it's not bad for someone to be on your case because if they're not talking about you, they don't care about you, right? I can, I can, I can promote lessons through doing my job. I can send messages through calling a game. And so I want to call the game because I have a big platform. Now that I'm transitioning that platform into giving back all of my experiences and my knowledge to the people that come into this game so that they can utilize to the best of their degree, to the best of their ability, their athletic ability for the game. But once the game ends, if you want to stay in the game, you can. There's a way for you to do that. And the only thing that I ask young people to do is that if you stay in the game, you make sure you pay it forward or you give back. That, that's, that's all I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to do that here in Chicago, in the United States. And now I'm, I'm starting to do that in Ghana because I'll be back there for my 50th birthday in a couple of weeks. I'll be back there doing a similar thing that I did last fall. That's what I want to do. Man, that's awesome to be able to learn, earn, and return in your lifetime. Just be here to be able to do that, you know. Yeah. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter, on Instagram? What are your handles for yourself and for Point Guard Vision? Uh, Stephen Bardo, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-B-A-R-D-O, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, which I'm not very good at yet. I'm Bardo35 on Snapchat, but I'm getting better. Instagram, I'm Bardo35 as well. And then PointGuardVision.com will give you a, a sense of the, the nonprofit work that I do with young people trying to, to develop them, develop leadership skills and develop them just as people through the use of basketball. Stephen Bardo, I, like I told you earlier, it was a pleasure. I thought I would only be watching you on television, but I get to speak to you. I got to speak to you. So I appreciate your time, man. And thank you for being a guest on this podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Myson. And keep up the great work yourself. I, I really like what you're doing and uh, you got a bright future ahead. This podcast is free and you get what you pay for. And this is pretty good stuff, in my opinion. You're not paying for it in dollars, but you pay for it in reviews. Please don't make me be that guy that charges for this content. So please take 60 seconds of your time to give this podcast a review on iTunes. You're a business owner, so you know how much a review means to you. It's super simple to do on your phone. Otherwise, I have to start making this podcast a monthly membership, and nobody has time for that. So review, review, review. Catch you all on the next episode.